Hi, this is Corbin Granger and Robert Jennings from Town Benefits, a subsidiary of Town Bank, and you are listening to an episode of HR on Mike. We're here to help employers navigate the complicated maze of human resources and compliance requirements by offering common sense analysis and suggestions on a variety of HR and compliance questions. Thank you for listening today. Remember, we're not lawyers or accountants, so our content is not legal or tax advice, but is for educational purposes only. Always consult an expert when you need legal or tax help. Retaliation, what is it and how can employers avoid it? Corbin, just in case you haven't had any fun facts delivered to your inbox today, I just want to tell you that I have a fact for you. Really? I love fun facts. Yeah. Um, and it really is kind of surprising. But here it goes. The number one charge that the EEOC deals with, that is employees and former employees against their employers, is retaliation. What? Really? Yeah, really. Um, actually more than half, 56% of all charges that come before the EEOC include a retaliation charge. Whoa, that's crazy. And I'm sorry, I don't think that's a fun fact because the concept of retaliation seems so negative. I think I'm slightly depressed. Yeah. It seems like seeking revenge against an employee. I think it's just something that most employers Really, they're never going to think of doing that intentionally. So, yeah, I, along with me, I think most employers would be surprised at how many retaliation charges are filed. So in the next few minutes here on HR on Mike, we're going to walk you down the winding path of retaliation, explain what it means to you as an employer and anyone who manages people, and give practical tips on avoiding it in your workplace and then how to respond to it if an employee claims to have experienced it. Yes, and retaliation can have several layers or several twists in the road. So the first thing you have to do is you've got to separate reality from perception, except we all know that that is an impossible task, right? Yeah. Someone once astutely said, perception is reality. And while this is a good quote, though not always literal, it does demonstrate the power of what people believe to be true. So retaliation is really in the eyes of the beholder. And for employers, that can be a problem because even if an accused employer is innocent and they haven't retaliated, the journey from accused to exonerated can be long and expensive. Yeah. So let's back up for just a second and talk about, um, Corden, what is it that we mean by retaliation in the employment relationship? Yeah. So it's pretty simple. According to the Department of Labor, retaliation occurs when an employer fires an employee or take some other type of adverse action against an employee for engaging in what they call a protected activity. And there's an important point that we need to make here. When it says that the employer fires an employee, you need to remember that that doesn't mean that someone in HR or some executive, but really it means anyone acting as an agent of the employer. And that includes managers and frontline supervisors and anyone in positions like that. You know, sometimes a manager or supervisor will take some type of adverse action in addition to perhaps even having the authority to just outright fire people. So remember that it's very important for companies to train anyone with the power to take an adverse action or to actually terminate an employee on the dangers of retaliation, real or imagined. Yeah. So the takeaway from that definition is that the employer wants to make sure that number one, employees are never fired in retaliation for engaging in a protected activity. And number two, 
that the employer can substantiate the non-retaliatory reason that the employee was fired. Now, Corbin, you know that I spent over 33 years in HR management. So I really have quite a storehouse of HR anecdotes. And here's an opportunity for me to to trot one of those out. Um, And actually, this one is appropriate for this occasion. All right. So picture this. Okay. I once had an employee who had a tardiness problem. No, nothing unusual about that. Um, She was regularly 10 or 15 minutes late. Now, I counseled her about it. And every time I counseled her, there was always some excuse. My alarm didn't go off. My car didn't start. I spilled coffee on my skirt. The dog ate my homework, et cetera, et cetera. So we went through the counseling. We went through a performance improvement plan, a warning. And then finally, after about six months, I had no other choice, really. I let her go. Now, she turned right around and informed me that she was going to the EEOC because I had retaliated against her for being tardy by firing her. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Well, first of all, I think it's nice that she informed you. But second of all, being tardy isn't a protected activity. Exactly. Um, Now, let me do a quick sidebar here. If this employee had informed me that she was being treated for a medical condition, and let's say she couldn't sleep well, or she had a child with a serious chronic illness, and sometimes getting that child settled with the babysitter in the morning was a challenge, then those situations would call for a more in-depth conversation. And those conversations would be consistent with, say, the Americans with Disabilities Act or FMLA, but random controllable excuses, nope, not protected. So now that we know um, what isn't protected, what is an example of what the DOL calls protected activity as it relates to retaliation? Yeah, good question. Now, protected activity can actually take many forms. So for example, an employee taking FMLA leave, that's a protected activity. And firing or demoting an employee shortly after he or she comes back from FMLA, that can be retaliatory in fact, or it can be perceived as being retaliatory. You know, you fired me because you're angry with me because I took 12 weeks off, that sort of thing. Another example could be an employee who calls the wage and hour division, let's say, to ask a question about overtime laws, and then shares what he learned with another employee. And the manager gets wind of this and fires the employee on the spot. Well, Employees have the legal right to contact the Department of Labor. So really, this firing would probably consider uh, to be retaliatory, you know, like you're implying that the employee is um, a troublemaker. And so you want to just get rid of them. Right, right. So the big takeaway from this is use common sense when taking any negative action against an employee and look at possible protected activity the employee may have gauged in, in, in the recent past. Yeah. So now here's another example with a little twist. You have an employee who's been having performance problems for the past few months, and you've been on the fence about letting him go. You realize that he recently complained to management about some some safety violations on the shop floor, and it does occur to you that the timing might be bad because the employee has the right to raise questions about safety in the workplace. So Barbara, are you saying that the company has to keep this person, this poor performer employed? You know, not necessarily. The decision maker in this scenario, first of all, was smart to check on possible retaliation issues. But in this situation, I would recommend that she seek the help of a lawyer to help navigate a risky situation. Remember at the beginning, I talked about perception versus reality. This sounds like a situation where termination may be justified, but it also illustrates why it's so important to communicate with employees, you know, counseling, coaching, 
documenting performance issues and that sort of thing. When an employee is terminated for cause, that really should not be a surprise to the employee. That's true. But however, in the mind of the employee, it's easy to see where he could perceive being fired as the employer getting rid of him for being a quote unquote troublemaker or something like that. I mean, the employee's perception can be perfectly wrong, but it can cause serious problems for the employer. And here are three questions along that vein that the employer should consider. Right. First question would be, has this employee engaged in any protected activity? Has the employee been subjected to an adverse employment action? And finally, is there a causal link between the protected activity and the adverse employment action? Or can the employer demonstrate that there is no causal link between the protected activity and the adverse action? Now, that's a long phrase, an important phrase, causal link. Can you define that for me there, Barbara? Right. Sounds like a painful medical condition, I know. Um, Yeah, actually, a a causal link means that the employee could establish, even if it's just in their own mind, that one activity that or um, one thing that they did caused them to be fired. Okay. Now, the reality is the, the causal link in most terminations or in kind of sound terminations would be employees' performance caused their termination. There should You should always be able to demonstrate that there was no causal link between um, engaging in a protected activity and then being fired. Okay. That, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. And that's really where sound HR practices and documentation become invaluable. As an HR person, you're going to put yourself in a much better position if you can show that you have been counseling and working with this employee for a while and you have contemporaneous documentation of your discussion and, of course, of your actions taken. Right. And so common sense one of my favorite things, common sense and good HR practices would tell the employer to make sure that supervisors are trained in preventing the appearance of retaliation, that they understand the meaning of protected activity and making sure that they know not to threaten an employee who is engaging in a protected activity. For example, saying something like, Corbin, I know you're approved for FMLA, but man, your absences are a real hardship. You need to watch your step. I know, harsh, right? Yeah. And I, I know those things happen, but that those are foolish words and managers need to know, managers and supervisors, never to say anything like that to someone who is in a protected situation. And finally, that supervisors need to understand that they represent the company and the company can be liable for the supervisor's actions. Right. So if an employee is having performance issues, always address those issues with the employee and document, document, document the steps you have taken and any coaching sessions, discussions, warnings, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And if an employee claims to have experienced retaliation, for example, he didn't get a promotion because he filed a workers' comp claim, do an investigation into the decision-making process. Who made the decision, what criteria was used, and how was everything communicated to the employee? Here's something important to note. If you listen to our library of podcasts, you may note that we mention retaliation in numerous contexts. And that's because a retaliation claim can result from negative action, such as a failure to promote or termination under numerous different laws. To recap what we've been talking about, employers should avoid the appearance of retaliation. They should communicate performance problems promptly. And as Corbin said, document, document, document. They should carefully and objectively investigate any charges of retaliation, and they should seek the help of a lawyer as needed. We hope that this episode of Town Benefits HR on Mike has been helpful. You may find additional topics of interest in our library. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it, 
please give us a like. For comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out to us at Town Benefits. And that's T-O-W-N-E. Our email address is townbenefitscompliance at townbenefits.com. And again, town is T-O-W-N-E. Products sold by Town Benefits are not deposits, are not insured by FDIC or any other government insurance, and they may lose value. We hope you enjoyed that legally required disclaimer and hope you have a sunny and successful day.